Amen. And ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me this evening to the book of Job in the Old Testament. Chapter 23, we'll be taking as our text verse 12. And this follows on the heels of uh, part of what we were healing, uh, hearing in our exposition of Isaiah this past Sabbath afternoon. So it's picking up on one of the truths that we were considering together there and giving it uh, more concentrated meditation. So Job chapter 23 and verse 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the, the great physician. And as such, he not only comes to, to grant uh, health to those who are sick and strength to those who are weak in body, but he also comes equipped with divine cordials and remedies, with the panacea of his divine grace, when applied efficaciously to the souls of, of men. And yet so many in the face of this great physician refuse him and refuse all that he brings with him. You think of going to healthcare provider and uh, you're sick and you're tired and you're susceptible to everything that, every cold that appears, you're weak in body and so on and so forth. And then they discover, well, you're not eating, you're not eating nutritiously, uh, you're not exercising, you're not um, getting adequate sleep and so on. And the question is obvious, you know, why would you expect anything different than some of the struggles that you're, you're facing in the course of a person's uh, normal health? And so too it is with the souls of men. And so the Lord sends his ministers, which under the Lord Jesus Christ are also physicians of the soul who come in the Lord's name with the Lord's means uh, to equip and fortify, to stimulate, to encourage the, the, the lives of, of men and women, boys and girls, to employ all that is to be found at the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, both preventatively in keeping spiritual and saving strength, as well as in the remedy of addressing our many uh, copious struggles that we so often face with, with regards to the soul. So here we come to, to the book of Job. You'll remember on Sabbath afternoon in our exposition of Isaiah 12, we were noting this, this uh, response of praise to the Lord for the great work of redemption that he's promised to his church in the future and at present, and that it is with joy that we draw waters from the wells of salvation. And we were noting there how this is setting forth Christ himself, that, that he is the one uh, who is our salvation. The passage says that God is my salvation and that, that we're actually drawn to Christ himself and that he's given us this call to live at the well, to live with our head in the well and to draw up through the ordinances that he's given us Christ himself for the savoring of our, our soul. So here we come now this evening to Job, very different circumstances 
and different time and setting than what we find in the prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, Job is not in a position that anyone would envy. He is not in a position which is attractive or easy, right? He's had catastrophic trials that have descended upon him. He's had everything save his life uh, seemingly swept out of his world. He's been left broken. He's been left humbled by the Lord. And so he's in a, a very difficult condition, very difficult circumstance. And yet he's a man who eschewed evil, feared the Lord. He was a man of faith. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. He exercised him soul, his soul under the Lord. And yet in these circumstances that are so incredibly perplexing, uh, so overwhelming, we find these words from the mouth of Job. We find Job in chapter 23, you know, longing to appear before the Lord, longing to see the Lord, longing for the presence of the Lord, longing to lay out everything that he is and has in his case uh, before the Lord and serving him. And in the context of that, we have these words in verse 12, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He's esteeming the words of the Lord more than his necessary food. So we'll consider three things together this evening with the Lord's help. First of all, starving for Christ's grace. Starving for Christ's grace. The word is a means of grace. It is the means, one of the means through which the Lord's people receive grace. Here is Job, and he's setting a contrast before us, right? He says, I, I haven't gone back from the commandments. I haven't turned and done an about face. I haven't set my back to them. I haven't walked away from them. In other words, he's clinging to them. He's, he's holding fast to them. And then he sets this contrast, and he says, I esteem the word of the Lord above more than my necessary food. So he's saying, there's something else that I want and desire more than my necessary food. He is starving for the grace of God, starving for the word of God. And it throws what we would think of as our normal, biological, natural, physical appetites, the the hunger pains for, for physical food, it's, it's cast aside in comparison. And so there's, there's a motive here, right? We're, we're seeing not only Job holds to the word of God, Job reads the word of God, Job follows the word of God, but we're actually being brought behind it. And we're being told that he is hungry. He's hungry for the word of God. You can put food in your mouth and be in a lot of different conditions, you can say to yourself when you're sick, I have to eat. I don't want to eat. It's not attractive to me. It doesn't look appetizing to me. But here we have hunger pains. Here we have Job saying, I am starving for this word of God. I must eat it. Like Jeremiah, thy words were found and I did eat them. And they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart, Lord God of hosts. It's the same picture that's being given to us here. That we, the, the, the Christian is called and the people of God are called uh, to hold fast to his word and to live with that word all day long because of their hunger pains. The hunger is ultimately for Christ himself. 
hungering for Christ, where can he be found? We find him, among other things, in his word. And we come to feed upon him by faith in his word, mixing our hearing with, with faith. You remember the, you get the same thing in the New Testament in a variety of places, the one that's so familiar to everyone from Acts 17, verse 11. You have the Bereans who are set in contrast to those in Thessalonica. And we're told that the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so, right? So they're, it's a picture of eagerness. It's a picture of hunger pains. It's a picture of starving. It's a picture of desire, of longing. And so they're searching, they're digging. They're not just casually glancing over it. They're, they're actually diving headlong into the word of God and doing so on a daily basis. Not periodically, but daily. How often do we eat? We eat every day because we're hungry every day. The Bereans were hungry for the word of the Lord every day, and they're searching his scriptures every day. We have three meals a day with perhaps for some snacks in between and so on and so forth. The Lord says we're to esteem his word, the words of the Lord's mouth, more than all of that more than our necessary food. Yes, we have, we have stated times in which we give ourselves to the word, morning, evening, perhaps other times throughout the day. Why? Not just because it's a duty, not just because it has to find a place of priority in our schedule, but because we're hungry. We're starving for the word of God. Our knowledge of that word does not come by osmosis. We're to be searching the scriptures as Jesus even attributed to his, his enemies. You search the scriptures. But then he corrects them. They are they which speak of me. Right? There's the searching of the scriptures to the end of finding Christ, of having fellowship with him, communion with him, a sight of him, drawing upon him and his grace and his resources. This is why parents are to teach their children when they rise up and when they lie down and when they walk in the way. In other words, why parents are to be pouring into their kids all day, every day, the, the, the word of God. It's why you get the same thing in Psalm 78 where the things we've heard we're passing on uh, to those who, who follow us. That same word, which is treasure, being bequeathed to the generation that, 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 that is, is rising. And you could list uh, numerous passages that reinforce uh, the same point. The only people who never eat, who never sit down and eat, are dead people. They're the only ones who never sit down and eat. For those who have physical life, some here this evening perhaps, who have physical life and vitality, but no spiritual appetite, no longing, no hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's evidenced by the fact that this book goes without feeding upon it, unsearched, unread, without digging into it. This is the Lord coming with a shot across your bow once again and saying, aha, exposing. What's the problem? The problem isn't just that you're not disciplined, right? Oh, I need to read books on self-discipline and, and have all these other, you know, systems and methods that will somehow fix my problem. It's a heart problem. And for those who are devoid of an appetite for the Word of God, it's because they're devoid of an appetite of God Himself, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's exposing us. 
What's wrong? I'm, I'm not just sick. I'm dead, spiritually dead. What do I need? I need a resurrection. I need the Lord to come and breathe life into me. Well, where are we, what are we to do? We're to, you know, where, are we, where are we to seek these things? In this book, right? Under the word, under the preaching of the word, in the, in the reading of, of the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we are to pour ourselves into, into that, that word. We live in a spiritually and theologically illiterate age. Evangelicalism still looms large on the surface of, of our society in a measure. But we're an ignorant age. As they say, a mile wide, an inch deep, you begin to talk to people and talk to them about spiritual things, talk to them about the Bible, how little they know of what we would have thought should have been even the basics, much less beyond the basics of what this book teaches and familiarity, a loving familiarity uh, with it. There's a trend that really mirrors the trend toward liberalism, right? Liberalism says, well, the you know, theology and these things, you know, that's, that's not so important. What we need is morality. We need a moral life and we need to have, you know, good ethic and we need to have all these things. And yet, isn't this not something of the trend reflected, even within some reform circles, where everything is about, your, you know, having the proper family and your job and how you can do this, that, and the other thing, and, and yet, where is Christ in all of these things, and where is, where is the, 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 the mooring and undergirding and, and foundations of substantial biblical and theological truth are missing? This is why with our children, it's so important that we're to be pouring, pouring, pouring the word of God into them, right? That we're to be saturating them in the word of God, not the, not the, the sort of minimalist approach, but actually teaching them to read and to read large swaths of the word of God, teaching them to memorize not a verse, but to memorize more and more substantial portions of the word of God, to memorize the metrical Psalms and so on and so forth. I mean, this is what the Lord uses, right? They, they may be unconverted, but they're being filled up with the word of God. And then when the spirit comes in his merciful grace and turns the lights on, all of that equipment is there. If you wait at whatever age that may be, late youth, early adulthood, whatever, and then begin, you're way behind. Right? You think of the example of the Apostle Paul. Right, one of the great theologians of the whole history of the church. Phenomenal in terms of, of, of all the, the ways in which the Lord, the Lord used him. He had from his infancy had the word of God poured in him. Before he was ever converted, he had mastered front to back the Old Testament scriptures, memorized probably amounts that would shock us and stagger us, acquainted with the details. And when the Lord came sent the Spirit, he was regenerated, converted, brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that came with him. And now, now an illuminated, enlightened mind to understand that word and to be able to, to rightly divide it and so on and so forth. These are important things, not only in terms of our reading of the word of God, our hunger pains there, but carrying it with us, meditating upon the word of God day 
and night. This is the language. I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night. Psalm 119, verse 97. We have our times of worship where we're reading and soaking and digging and searching. That needs to be carried with us in our minds so that it's molding and shaping us, guiding and directing us, feeding us throughout the entire day. We're to take these things with us. Think of Psalm 119 a little earlier in verse 72 where it says, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Similar to what we sing in Psalm 19 and elsewhere. So there's a sense of value. And that value is, transforms how we approach the book. And I would encourage you, I would challenge you pastorally, you should sit down to your daily reading of the Bible with the mindset of a treasure hunt. And to focus not only on reading, you know, whatever select portion, but to actually applying yourself to meditation upon that word. So think of it as a treasure hunt. You sit down and you've prayed and you open the book and you think to yourself, as I often have, I have, I have no idea what the Lord has for me today, but I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to find it. I'm, I'm not going to be content until the Lord lights me up with something from his word. And, you know, as ministers of the gospel, we preach three sermons a week. We have, you know, also pastoral cases, and we've got lectures and other things we're doing and so on and so forth. When we sit down with our Bibles, it's to feed our souls. It's not sermon preparation. It's not related to absolutely anything else that we're doing with regards to ministry. It's to sit down and commune with Christ, the desire to be with him, near him, see him, feed upon him. One way of doing this that I think is super helpful is, is to actually do it with pen and paper, pen in hand. So you, you read a portion, but then you select something that's, that's perhaps stood out to you. And then you take that something, verse, a few verses or whatever it is, and you begin to drill down with pen and paper. And you begin to think, okay, what are all of the other places in which God speaks about this? And the Lord is actually deepening the, cementing the word into your own heart, because now you're, you're drawing connections. You think of this passage, you think of that passage, you think of this other passage, you go there, and then that makes you, because of something that said, think of another passage, and you begin to weave these things together, and they're all kind of being cemented in your heart, and you're thinking, right, what's this showing me of Christ, and what, what does, how does this speak to the sins in my life? How does this consolation, in what ways is this applied to me? You know, how does this connect with other things I've been hearing in the sermons and reading in books and so on and so forth? And the whole thing opens up, right? It opens up and it's fresh and your, your hunger pains are being intensified. And the fellowship that is had in entering into Christ, who is coming as it were and sitting down with us and saying, let me show you myself. Let me show you all that I've said, right? This is... This is, what, this is what's so desperately needed for all of us, is to be feeding, starving for Christ and, and his grace. We have to move on then. Savoring, secondly, savoring Christ's voice in, in the reading of Scripture. He says that he esteems it. 
Elsewhere we read that it's a matter of joy and rejoicing. We read about valuing it more than gold and silver and precious stones and so on. Go back to your larger catechism. Read questions 156 and 157 and the, the summary uh, description it gives about what reading the Bible uh, entails. Right? Not just coming to a passage and allowing it like water that, that runs over the top of a rock, but digging, as I say, for treasure in it. To delight in Christ, in his word. To find delight in him. That, that's what's happening when, when, when David says, Oh, how I love thy law. Right? He's not saying I'm supposed to love it or it's really important. He's expressing his heart. He's saying, I do. I actually love it. I love it. And Paul says the same thing, right? We delight in the law after the inward man. He's saying, not we don't just have it and know it. I'm delighting in it. Here, Job's saying, I esteem it. I esteem it. And so this is, that means, of course, all of it. It means not just going to those few places that we especially enjoy, but it means, it means, all of it, right? The threatenings as well as the consolations, the, the exhortations as, and, and so on and so forth. So we, we have to love the whole book. And perhaps it's the areas of the book that we know less of that we need to spend most of our concentrated time and meditation upon. But to be brought to esteem it more than a necessary food, you know what that means, because you've been, in case, you've been in situations when you are in the vein with something else, a work project or something going on at the house or whatever else, and you're, you're running full throttle, and you could care less about food. You know, time for the food passes, but this is more important to you, and your, your, your mind is, is focused, and you're, you're in the vein. This is the picture, right? He's saying, we, 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 we esteem it more than unnecessary food. Elsewhere, we esteem it more than all the riches, you know, piles of gold and silver and, and uh, precious stones and so on. No, we love this more. It's interesting. There's the, the account of uh, King Edward VI, who was uh, sometimes called the Josiah of Britain. Very short reign, godly young king. And uh, at, his, at his coronation, you know, they present three, three swords rec- rep- representing the three kingdoms. And he says there is one missing the most important of all, right? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We come to it with reverence. We come to it with confidence. We come to it desiring to believe it. We come desiring not only to hear, but to obey it. We come with a desire to apply it to our, our souls. This is savoring, savoring Christ in His Word. Thirdly, I want to bring another line of application from, from this, and that is singing uh, to Christ his, his word. So in this passage, of course, uh, singing is not specifically uh, noted, but he does say esteem the words of his mouth, and part of those words include the songs that God has, has given to his people. What and Psalm 72 in our metrical version refers to as that grave, sweet uh, melody. You think of um, Psalm 104, 
Psalm 104, verse 33, where it says, he, uh, he looked on the earth, and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills, and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. So here you see the connection between sweetness, delight, esteeming it, connected with meditation upon uh, the word of the Lord. Uh, this has been the case throughout the history of, of, of the church, true in the Old Testament, true in the New Testament, true in the, in the patristic era, true throughout the annals of, of history, of, of singing, loving the, 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 the singing of God's own word in the Psalms that he's He's given to us. There's something sweet, isn't there, in singing? I say that, by that I mean there's, there's a form of meditation in singing. We sing slower than we speak. And we, we also, singing and music engages other dimensions within our person. Affections are included, can move our affections. And there's a number of different strands that actually you know, contribute to bringing us under God's saving grace to, to, to esteem his word. Right? This is, the Lord says to us specifically in Colossians 3 that the word of Christ dwells in us richly in the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So it's, it's one of the ways in which the word dwells, the word of Christ, Christ dwelling in us richly, being filled with uh, the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, in, the, in that, those first few hundred years after the days of the apostles, there's so much interesting stuff with regards to this particular point. I mean, you, you couldn't become a minister unless you had memorized the entire Psalter. Um, it, was, it was absolutely at the backbone of the, the worship of the church, in various regions, east end and west. I mean, you, you hear of Clement of Alexandria, who's early, you know, talking about psalm singing being so, so common that you would hear it in the field, you'd hear it, the plowmen, you know, the, the, the vine dressers, it could be heard all over the place. And of course, we know that similar things were said later on in, in Scotland and in Geneva and so on. But one of the reasons that we esteem the Lord's word as, as it's sung is because Christ himself is singing, right? Christ sings over us, Zephaniah 3. Christ sings with us, Psalm 22 and Hebrews 2. The Lord Jesus Christ sings with us. And he, Psalm 22 as well, inhabits the praises of our people. And as we just heard from Colossians 3, his word dwells in us richly. And so Christ, 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 and all the things I just mentioned, it is bringing us to communion and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you think of how the Lord has, even in the created order, you know, he, music, there's music throughout the whole of creation. Uh, I mean, the, the Psalms talk about the heavens, right? And it's, it's a description. Uh, I don't pretend to know all that it entails, but noise, music, as it were, from the created heavens, and, but, but you think of it, you have the whistle of the wind and the trickle of the stream and the notes of the bird 
and uh, the roll of the billows and, and waves and the peal of thunder and the trees that, as we know in the Psalms, clap their hands and, and so on, right? Even here in South Carolina, the cicadas at night, phenomenal, right? All in unison. And here we have all of this, right? Hills, valleys everywhere, anthems of praise to the glory of God from his, his creation. My point in all of that is this. The little birds rebuke our silence. Solomon says, go to the ant, ye sluggard. We could just as rightly say, go to the little bird, right, who sings its heart out in the praise of God as a testimony against us with a full heart to the Lord, right? You watch that little bird. Take note, learn from it. Sit at the feet of a bird and let it tutor you if we must. But our praise is also to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're singing to him as well as to one another, as Ephesians 5 tells us. We are we are lifting up our, 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 our prayers, our thoughts are being channeled through the words that Christ himself has give, put in our mouths. And so it's, it's to him, it's praise to him, it's drawing nigh to him, it's adoring him. It's for the benefit of others, right? For instruction and admonishing and thanksgiving and contemplation. You think of all the effects of how we should esteem his word sung more than unnecessary food. How often have we read in the annals of history of how, like with Paul and Silas, it sweetened the prison cell, prepared the Lord's people for suffering, and exhilarates the soul. You think of all the different categories of people in the Bible, right? You have Christ singing the Psalms, you have the apostles, you have kings, and you have generals of armies and prophets and congregations, Israel and individuals. And you see it, you see them being sung in the field and prison and streets and so on and so forth, as well as in the congregation. The Lord teaches us to esteem his word above all our necessary food, to not, to not go back from his commandment. Esteeming, esteeming it speaks, doesn't it, to our manner. It speaks to how we, we sing. Well, what does that mean? What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us in Psalm 47, we're to sing with understanding. You can sing with your mind shut. We've all done it, every single person here. Where your eyes are on the words and your mouth is mouthing the words without really thinking about what you're singing. We're to sing with understanding, our minds engaged. After all, we're to be filled with the Spirit, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as Ephesians 5 says. Right? We're to sing with affection as well. We see something of that in Isaiah 12 and in Isaiah 5, verse 1. Colossians 3 says we're to sing with grace in our heart. We're to sing with joy, James 5 tells us. We're to sing with faith. We're to be believing, exercising faith in the word of God. We're to sing with fear, the fear of the Lord, with, with strength, with might, 
even with shouting, or to sing with skillfulness. All of this reflects how we sing, reflects the esteem that we have for the Word of God. And if they were more sung and better sung in our regular life, the better sung they would be in the congregation as well. The Lord gives us his word. And so it's especially poignant, I think, that that this language comes to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit out of the mouth of Job. And out of the mouth of Job, in the most horrific circumstances, if it's, if it's true of Job that he's, he's laying up the word of God and he's, he's, he's holding it more precious to him than his daily bread, in those circumstances, then it should be reflected when we are in those sorts of circumstances and in every other set of circumstances as well, to be loving the Word of God. This is, this is the Lord coming with the precious remedies of his own appointment. The Lord says that he is the great physician, is pleased to address all the maladies of our soul through the means that he's appointed and through those means to convey the panacea of his grace, to give to us all that our souls lack, we're to open our mouths wide in order that he might fill them. We're to come to the word of God with a desire that through that word we would be drawing water out of the wells of salvation, that we would be drawing up more of Christ, beholding more of Christ, drinking of those living waters from Christ, feeding upon the bread which comes down from heaven in Christ, recognizing that we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Let's stand together for prayer. Almighty God in heaven, Grant to us that appetite which the Spirit inflames by grace in the soul. Give us, O Lord, that we would not only live upon the Word of God, but delight to live upon it and love it more than all all the other alternatives that could be presented to us, including our necessary food. O Lord, make us a people who have an insatiable appetite for thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and give to us that the Spirit would accompany the Word placed into our hands and cause it to be burned within our hearts and to inflame our souls in love and devotion unto thee. For we ask it in Jesus' name.